Welcome to episode number 257. Today's episode is really a fun one, and we're talking about homesteading for happiness and creating a garden space that brings you enjoyment, along with some great tips, of course, for using the creative process to make your garden a place that you enjoy, but also to help make it more functional. So I'm going to be giving you a teaser. We're going to be talking about a way that you can use comfrey in the garden using some permaculture techniques that you're going to want to hear more about in this episode. Let me welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, raising a year's worth of healthy and sustainable food for your family, as well as the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy. The Pioneering Today Academy is my membership site where all of my courses are housed and I walk you through every aspect of living a self-sufficient life from growing your own fruits and vegetables to preserving your food, as well as your livestock and natural medicine, kind of all of those elements of a homegrown and homemade life. And we only open for enrollment a few times a year. And so the reason I'm sharing this with you is because a lot of you have been messaging me and asking, when is the Academy going to open? I want to join. So we are open right now. So if you are listening to this as this episode drops, we are open for enrollment until Monday, May 18th. So go to melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA, just the letters P for Pioneering Today Academy. I know, got it there, right? You're super smart like that. And you can check out everything about becoming a member while we have the doors open. But I am really excited for today's episode and to share it with you because Many of us at this time, we are spending a lot more time at home and hopefully we have more time in the garden or we're planning on growing more this year. So we're spending more time in the garden and the garden has always been a place of sanctuary for me. It's been a place that I unwind. I just take great joy and I find that when I go out and spend some time in the garden and then I come back in, I sleep better on those nights and my overall stress level goes down and I feel like it, it grounds me. And that might sound kind of weird, but I really noticed that if I'm paying attention that those days where I spend some time in the garden, even if it's just like 10 minutes, definitely makes a huge difference for me. And this year I have found with everything that's going on with the pandemic and just all of those things that it's even more true than it normally is. And because we're spending even more time at home, I already spent quite a bit of time at home. We are live really rurally and we happen to love where we are and where you live on a homestead and you have a lot, a lot, lot of livestock. I also work from home. Um, I'm naturally there more, but I'm finding that I'm spending even more time in the garden and outside as we move into that spring and summer weather. And so I really want it to be a place of beauty and refuge and just a place of enjoyment as well as being highly productive because this year we are, I had already increased my cottage medicinal herb garden. We had put in a whole new bed and a whole lot of new plants, which I'm really excited about. Part of that was for 
myself, obviously, because I wanted to grow and to use all of these medicinal herbs and not have to purchase them from the store. But also because within the academy, we are now having an herbal monthly deep dive. So we take a look at an herb and we go deep focusing on that one specific herb. So how to grow it, the growing conditions, how to harvest it. And then on the flip side, all of its medicinal properties, interactions, precautions, any notes of danger or issues that it ways it shouldn't be used. And then the different ways of preparation and the different ways that it can be used in your natural medicine arsenal. Therefore, I needed to have all of these herbs. See what a great thing that is. <laughs> that meant I have to have all of these herbs growing here on the homestead in order to share about them in the videos. So we had already really increased a big area of what I call my herbal cottage garden. And we also increased our growing space. We put in another 20 by 10 foot bed when we moved our high tunnel. So we had already had plans to increase the garden, but felt even that it was a really wise decision and focusing on that even more as we move into the current times that we're in. So to that, I felt like I just needed to preface all of that with you to say that this interview, when I recorded it, and this is with Harold, which I'm thrilled to have back onto the podcast, but it's very timely because all of us are out there more, or hopefully we'll be out there more. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to introduce you to my guest, which like I said, is Harold Thornbro. Now, Harold has been on the podcast before. He was on episode number 176, which was how to homestead on less than one-tenth of an acre, tips for small space urban self-sufficiency. So I will link to that episode in today's show notes. You can grab that at the blog at melissaqnorris.com forward slash 257, because this is episode number 257, because you're probably going to want to listen to that episode as well. But if you're new and you're not familiar with Harold, he's a husband, father, and a grandfather now. And Harold is a colon cancer survivor, which he really feels that he acquired because of years of very unhealthy eating choices. And when he had his diagnosis and was going through that, he made major lifestyle changes, which included urban homesteading on that one-tenth of an acre in Indiana, where he grows an extensive annual perennial garden using permaculture practices, and they also raise rabbits and quail. He's very passionate, which you'll hear about encouraging and helping others. Harold is so uplifting to start a homesteading lifestyle for better health and a better world and doing it right where they are, no matter where they live. And so today we're really focusing on the homesteading for happiness portion of this. Uh, a lot of times we're focused on the productivity and providing for ourselves and the self-sufficiency, which is all beautiful and wonderful things. But we also want to make sure that we aren't just so focused on that, that we're missing the happiness and the joy and all those little beautiful parts too. So without further ado, let's dive straight into this. Hey guys, well, I'm really excited to have today's guest back with us again on the Pioneering Today podcast. So Harold, welcome back. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am so excited to have you on today. Today's subject is one that I, when I saw it come through, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was the exact same way and I feel exactly like you do. So I know I'm being a little bit vague, but we're going to dive right into <laughs> it. And that is homesteading for happiness and not just 
productivity, though the two can definitely go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to share how you've kind of made that mind shift transition first or decision, and then physically the steps that you're going and using to bring that into reality. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, when I first started doing this, it was like most homesteaders, it's all about, you know, just growing as much, uh, uh, healthy food as you can get and as, you know especially for someone like me who's got a, a pretty small property you know and you want to use up that space as, as best you can to, to grow as much food as you can and uh, that's that was just my number one goal you know and as I've went along it's like yeah I mean we got quite a bit of food coming from this but what I found was I, I really started designing my garden in a way that not only did it just provide me a lot of food but it just made me happy to be in it, you know, just to be out there among the plants, just walking it, not even just necessarily working in it or eating from it, but just being out there in it and just, you know, I have paths and things and we can talk a little bit about that in a few minutes, but, you know, just designing it in a way that just brings you joy, that makes you happy. And, and I struggled with that a little bit. It's like, should that be something that I'm so focused on? Should I be, you know, working in a meandering path or putting a bench here, you know, or a water feature? when I should just be growing as much food as I can, especially with I'm so limited on property. So I kind of struggled with it a little bit. You know, I thought, man, is that really important? Is it something I should, you know, put out there in the world and say, you know, try to try to build something that just makes you happy, that, that's beautiful, you like looking at? Because in the scheme of things, you know, it, it isn't the most important thing for sure, but I had to reconcile, is it important? Is it something that I want to focus on? Is it something I want to tell others they should probably focus on? So it was kind of this, uh, you know, this kind of uh, uh, struggle I had, internal struggle I had on whether it was really something I should be looking at. And then I kind of settled that with a few things. And we can talk about those few things of how I kind of came to the conclusion that I thought this is important. I think it is. Yeah, I love that. I think it's important too. And as you were talking, I had the exact same struggles because I neglected areas that were just flower beds that mm -hmm. didn't have any food production or, yeah. or any, you know, medicinal herbs that are still gorgeous flowers. But if they were just mm -hmm. flowers, like I'm like, I don't have time to spend on weeding these. I don't have time to maintain them. I don't want to add any more to it or anything. And then I reached the point where, where you were coming to and I'm like, you know, it's okay if I put some flowers in, even if they're not for companion planting, even if they're right. not for herb, just, just for the sheer joy of mm -hmm. having them. And it's okay to spend time on that. So I love that you said that because it's almost like I had to give myself permission. So if you're listening to this, like we are both giving you permission <laughs> to put the beautiful things in, even if that's their only purpose is just beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? And, and, Again, it's even more than okay. I think it's actually important, which is I think we'll look at here in a few minutes, of just why uh, we should do it. You know, it's something that I do think is secondary. I mean, we're we're looking at some possible times here where the most important thing is really to get some good, healthy food growing in your backyard, more than likely. But you know, is it important? Should we focus on it? And and I kind of looked at a few areas where, um, yeah, I think this is definitely something that not only we should do it because it makes us happy, but we should probably do it because it's healthy, um, because it's why we were created, uh, because, um, you know, it's just this is part of us uh, because feeding our bodies is really important, but also feeding our soul is important as well. And I think a beautiful garden does that. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, right now, as the time that Harold and I are recording this, it's in March. And so I really 
have very, very little that's growing out in the garden. I have some lettuce and some cold frames and some onion sets, but I don't really have any flowers that are blooming or much that's going on when you look outside. It's still pretty bare and barren and, you know, everything's <laughs> muted shades of gray and brown at this point. There's little green. In the spring and summer and even fall, I go out at least every morning and usually every evening and just walk through the mm -hmm. gardens. And I didn't realize how much of a decompression and it was, it's not working, not harvesting, just literally just walking through them, just spending time. Like I didn't realize how much I miss that and how much of a stress reducer yeah. that was um, until really I get to about this time of year. And I'm like, oh, I just can't wait for that. And I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that just as much as I do at the fresh food as well. Mm -hmm. But I love that Harold, you have a verse that you want to share with us. So for those of you who are listening, I know most of you who are familiar, if you've listened to my show for very long, you know, I usually have a verse of the week that I share at the end, oftentimes on a podcast. I don't usually share it in the, in the beginning. So just like heads up, we're going to be sharing a verse and we're going to be unpacking that and how we feel it relates to this subject. So if that bothers you, my apologies, but we're going to be doing it anyways. But I know for most <laughs> of my listeners and my readers, this is actually your guys's one of your favorite parts um, is the verse of the weekend when this is incorporated. So for you guys, like high five, uh, it's coming at you. Well, yeah. And, and you know, we, I do want to focus on that a little bit, but for those who don't necessarily agree with that or, or want that or look for a deeper, what they feel like is a deeper reason to do it. There's other reasons as well. And we can talk about that in a few minutes as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, you and I share a common faith and you know how you read your Bible, you know, occasionally and you're reading through it. I try to read through mine once a year or don't always get through it every year, but you know how you're just reading and you've read a passage several times. And then one day you just see something you never seen before. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> it happens to me all the time, right? And well, I'm reading in Genesis two, and I come across you know verses eight through ten, and this everybody knows the story. Really, it's the Garden of Eden. It's God putting Adam in the Garden of Eden, and verse eight starts out and says, "And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight." and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now, I, there's a thing in there that I hadn't really ever focused on before. And that's when God planted the, planted the garden for Adam. First, he says he planted every tree that is pleasant to the sight. Not just good for food. That was the second thing he said, but also pleasant to the site. And that just hit me, you know, because again, I was struggling. I'm always struggling that, man, should I be worried about the beauty of this garden or the production of this garden? And I think, well, this verse tells me that I should be concerned with, with both. Both are important. Both feed us. One feeds our body, one feeds our soul. And we should plant things that, that feed our soul as well, that, that are beautiful, that look good to the eye. And I just, when, when I came across that verse, it was just like, wow. I mean, it was, it was kind of that thing that said, it's okay. You can do this. It's fine to focus on that. <laughs> I love that. You know, I don't think I've ever really paid attention to that emphasis either. Sometimes it's just those little tiny phrases mm -hmm. that jump yeah. out at you. I know what you mean, but I love that. And that it was first in there. Yeah. Let's yeah. Listen to set. Yeah. 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 And then you put a water feature in there for him, you know, and had those rivers flowing through <laughs> <it> as well. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think it's just great that, that God says, you know, it's, this is part of why I created you to enjoy the beauty of creation. And, and you feel that poets write about it. Authors write about it. 
you know, we, we, we experience it all the time. We walk in nature, we walk in our gardens. How many times have you heard people say in their lives, it's just, it, it makes them happy to be in their garden or it makes them happy to walk in the woods and, and hang out within nature. It's the way we were created. And, you know, it's part of that. And when we can bring that onto our properties and into our backyards and provide a lot of food for us, that's a really good thing. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, so many times I hear people say like gardening is my, my therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they do it just as much for the food as they do for the joy it brings them. So I think regardless, like you said earlier, of who, where your, your faith lies, there is that undeniable human part of us that responds to nature and yeah. gardening. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there, the reality is there's been a lot of studies out there that, that show this is true. I mean, even if you don't come at it with a faith perspective, there's a lot of scientists out there doing studies. And, and, and you know, I've read, I can't even tell you how many journals and stuff I've read, medical journals and things I've read on gardening and, and how it helps your health, not just the food part, but actually doing the gardening, being in a garden, being in nature even. And um, I came across several and, and just all kinds of things that, that it benefits you. Um, one that stuck out to me was from the American Society for Horticultural Science, and it had a focus, in, a focus on gardening and its effects on stress reduction and healthy aging. I thought that was really interesting because what they found was what we've all experienced really is that it does reduce your stress. I mean, I know after a hard day of work and I come home and just walk around in my garden, I feel a lot better. You know, I'm, I'm on edge a little bit. I spend an hour or so in the garden. I just feel better. It reduces the stress. And we experience that and there's studies that show that. But not only that, it's, they've actually found that it, it gives mental clarity uh, especially in older people, it helps them really focus and, and get their mind right by spending time in a garden. And I thought that was really interesting that it, it even helps with those kind of things. Um, but there's also some studies I read, you know, where it reduces blood pressure. Um, there's, there's actually uh, some uh, places that are using plants and nature sounds for pain therapy. I thought that was really interesting. It was, they were doing certain procedures that, that they couldn't use medication for the pain while they were doing this procedure. And they would actually use, you know, pictures of plants and, and sounds of nature just to ease the pain. And I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing really. And, and just overall effect on mental health. There's a lot of studies that just that study the overall effect of the mental health of people who spend a lot of time in gardens and all of that is, there's a lot of science to support all of that. And I think it really shows the importance of, of building a beautiful garden. Now, a, every garden isn't beautiful to every person. I mean, I find, you know, there's people who, you know, they, they think their garden is it. Nobody has an ugly baby, right, to them. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we all think our garden's beautiful. But, you know, you, you build it to your style, what you like. And what someone else thinks their garden's beautiful, if it makes them feel good and happy, that's great. It don't, we're not doing it for other people. We're doing it for ourselves. Yeah. You know, going back just real quick to those studies, um, I will try and put in the show notes, guys, links to some of these actual studies if you want to go and see the sources Mm -hmm. and everything. But the dirt itself has microbes in it Mm -hmm. that actually help with depression and anxiety, like on an actual physical level when your skin touches the microbes and the dirt. And there was another study I believe I was listening to Bulletproof Radio, which is a, a podcast by Dave Asprey, the, the Bulletproof fame gentleman. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about when you're out in nature, specifically like around evergreens, so pine and firs and mm-hmm. you know cedars and those, that um, just inhaling the scent of those oils 
that come off of those trees actually improves your brain function and your wow. long-term anti-aging, your cognitive. I know it's just fascinating. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I need to go make sure I'm going. I live in prime Pacific Northwest evergreen country. Like I need to make sure I'm, I'm outside just walking through the, le- the woods and crushing a few of those pine needles in my hands every day. <laughs> <laughs> Stay young forever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, I mean, there's so many aspects that just from these free few, excuse me, brief studies that we've both shared, just a few mm-hmm. of these, like so many different aspects there um, that really we all, anybody who's garden kind of intuitively knew, but it's kind of fun when you get to see there's actual studies that prove what yeah. you felt intuitively already is actual true. Right. It just feeds all of our senses. Like you've pointed out our, our sense of smell, you know, what we see and it, it gives us a peace and calms us. Uh, just everything about it, the touching, the dirt, the soil, the, you know, the plants themselves. I mean, all of this just feeds every part of us. Yeah. Yeah. I find sorry, I geek out a little about bit about <laughs> it, which is fun when we're, I'm with other gardeners and other homesteaders. Yeah. They're, they get it. They're like, oh, let's geek on sister. Like I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just so important, you know, and we've, we've kind of looked at the, the, the faith aspect of why we feel like it's important, you know, the sign, science aspect of why it's important in, in our health. But how do we do that? I mean, I, I, again, I, I said that I think that it's kind of different for everybody, but it's you find what looks good to you and then you start building something. Um, now, I think I told you last time I was on a year ago, we bought an, a, an addition to our property. We bought the property right next door to us and I was going to expand my homestead into that property. It only had a barn on it and it had this big open grassy lawn. So I got to thinking a lot about, okay, how am I going to design this? And this is where I really started feeling guilty in the beginning. And then I came across those passages and kind of eased my pain. But, you know, I was thinking, okay, I was, because what I was thinking about mostly was making it look really, really good, you know, but then I'm thinking, no, it's, it's got to produce for me. It's got to give me a lot of food. So where I, where did I start? I started with paths, you know, I'm starting to cut paths in there and put paths in infrastructure like fences. Um, you know, and, and being able to pick a style that you like. Now, I, I find a lot of inspiration from several different uh, garden styles. I love English cottage gardens. I love Japanese gardens. I think they're just amazing. Um, you know, I love the Mediterranean gardens. Uh, so many of those things just really hit the spot for me. And permaculture is huge for me. So I love that really tying nature in to my garden and making it look more natural. But I also like to incorporate a lot of those other styles into that. Now, I spend a lot of my time on YouTube, not watching homestead channels necessarily, but I like to watch garden tours. You know, I love to watch these Japanese garden tours and these cottage garden tours. And it really just helps you get an idea of what you really, really like and what you want to, uh, to build on your homestead. So those are kind of some of the styles I like, and it's kind of the way I start putting my paths in. I like a meandering path. I do have some straight paths with lots of edge and we can get into why I think edge is important. Why, why I think paths are so important. Not only do they provide a way to your harvest and to maintenance your garden, but they're, they're also a way for you just to enjoy your garden, to walk through the trails that you cut through your garden. And it gives you an edge effect, which is a permaculture concept. And you can plant all along that edge. And we find in permaculture, the edge is where a lot of the life is. And so, it, you know, putting in trails is, is more than just about, you know, looking good and enjoying it. But it actually has a great purpose for growing an abundance of food as well. I love, I love that. Now, I'm with you. I tend to like the meandering paths. Mm-hmm. 
there's just something about your eye just kind of wants to follow in that like expectancy, especially if it goes like around a corner or, mm. you know, your, your view is a little bit blocked. I guess that's the adventure. Yeah. In me. Yeah. So when you're putting in your garden pathways, I want to go a little bit technical. So what are your favorite, I'm assuming you start out with a shovel, but what are some of your favorite ways <laughs> to actually put the pathways in, you know, how are you keeping weeds down so that it stays as a pathway? You know, what how, kind of, what are you building it? Um, out of, I guess. Yeah, I have different things. We have several different kinds of paths here. And I've, I've experimented with a few different things. Like I have some gravel paths. Now, when I put down those gravel paths, I actually, you know, they were going to be permanent. They're not going anywhere. I'm not growing anything necessarily in the path, right? So I did put a weed uh, block uh, uh, fabric, landscape fabric down under that. And then I've got about four inches of, of actual gravel on those paths. And th that's my main path through my garden. But then off of that, I have a, I have put in a little backyard pond and I've got a bridge that goes over that. And then I'll come off of that bridge with a mulch uh, pathway. Now I didn't want to necessarily, uh, uh, put any barriers down underneath that. I just cardboarded underneath that, put some thick mulch, and then what I did to keep the plants from the, or the grass from walking into that pathway was I, I planted comfrey all along that path on the edge. Well, comfrey has a really thick root mass and, and it basically blocks and it has, of course, it has the big leaves and everything. And it will prevent the grass from crawling into your, uh, your pathway. So all along that path, <laughs> that, that mulch path, I actually have comfrey all the way down, growing down through there. Of course, that has a ton of benefits all of its own, but that's another benefit of it is that it keeps the grass from crawling into my pathway. So that path is just mulch. Uh, of course, I have some paths that are, um, I actually have stone. You know, I have some flat slate rock paths. I have some, well, I'll call it urbanite, <laughs> where we actually take broken cement and actually embed it into the ground. And I have either moss or grass growing up through that. So you might even have to like take a weed eater or something and keep that down if you got grass, but it's kind of spotted, you know, to where it's more like stepping stones and that works really, really good. But that's just, a, and that's something that I've got for free. You know, like I said, we call it urbanite because it's just concrete that's all busted up <laughs> and it's in these pieces and, but you can make a really neat looking path with that. So, I mean, we just have all kinds of paths here and it all has, it all works different. And I haven't really fully decided on the ones I like the best because they all in their own area, they all serve kind of a different way and, and they look different and they all give me that different feel. Like I said, the, the, the gravel kind of gives me that more of that Japanese, you know, uh, garden type feel, or even some cottage gardens have like a garden path like that. And, you know, the mulch has more of a permaculture feel to it, you know, where you're planting along of a curvy path of a, of a mulch trail, but it all, it all, you know, ties in really, really well to bring a lot of beauty into your property. Oh, I love that. I like the urbanite one, actually, with the broken up concrete. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, I like that one. I, with the um, gravel paths, because we have some different gravel paths, too. And over time, you know, grass will start to creep in on mm -hmm. the sides. Not horribly, but I have to go and, and weed that out. So I love the idea of the comfrey. But I do have a question, because comfrey can be a little bit invasive. So it works great, as like you were saying, on that edge. I love that idea. But if you have things planted on the other side of the comfrey in the actual bed or in the actual garden, um, do you find that over time that you're having to divide that or to remove the comfrey so it doesn't encroach on that? Well, there, there's a couple different kinds of comfrey. Uh, there, there is the uh, the common comfrey, which which spreads by seed, and and that will that's invasive. It will spread okay. around. It will it will spread. Now, if you use a if you use like a balking four, a balking fourteen Russian comfrey, that's actually got sterile seeds, and the only way it will expand and spread is by breaking up the root. 
if you like take a shovel to you chop it up it will it will expand it'll take over an area but as long as you plant you know a cutting or a crown they'll stay right there and it'll never spread it'll get okay. pretty big i mean it'll get you know a few inches in diameter but that's not as far as it'll go it'll stay right there as long as you don't break it up and uh, so i plant that all along there it kind of ties together and it never spreads it stays right along that pathway but yeah you do want to be careful of what kind of comfrey you use don't use a common comfrey for that you definitely want to use the sterile uh, russian varieties Okay, thank you for the tip on not disturbing the root. I didn't realize that that would make even the other varieties spread. So, yeah. great tip there. Awesome. You know, it will. Like I said, if you chop it up or if you're using a shovel around it or anything like that, absolutely, it can it can uh, definitely uh, take over some space. You, you, when that root breaks, it just starts a whole other plant. And, okay. it, you know, so you want to be careful not to break up the root. If you're going to be doing any digging in an area, you don't want to plant it there. Okay, so it's a, a permanent spot that we don't really want to be touching afterwards. Right, right, okay. right. Perfect. Yeah, you're probably that. not going to get rid of it because that root goes down several feet. So it'll always be there wherever you put it. <laughs> Which is why it's so, so great at bringing other yeah. nutrients up to the, to the top and in the loop. Absolutely. There, yeah. I've, yeah. I've talked about so much comfrey, uh, comfrey so much on my podcast and stuff. that It's just unreal. I mean, it is definitely probably the, my favorite plant on my homestead because it has so many uses, but that's another great use for it is just keeping those weeds from, from crawling into an area. You don't want it to, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, I'll, I'll say something like that and I'll say, well, good. I can put that around my, the border of my garden. Well, you're, if you're going to be using like a rototiller or something around the edge of your garden, don't do that. Cause you'll chop up some of them roots and it'll spread into your garden. So, you know, cause it can keep, uh, if you're doing like no till or something and you're mm -hmm. not going to be using a shovel, you could use it for a border of a garden. It would keep the grass from crawling into your garden. But again, you got to be really careful about using it in an area like that. Okay. Thank you for those tips. Now you mentioned, I wanted to come back to that. So did you, that you had a bridge that went over a little water feature. Mm -hmm. So, and did you put that in yourself then? Yeah. Yeah. I put in, I just built a little bridge. We have a, we uh, have a small backyard pond and again, water features. I, I love water features for just adding beauty to the backyard and, and they have a lot of other functions as well. But uh, I put in a little backyard pond and built a little bridge over it because we have a little like waterfall and a little Creek that maybe about, you know, a 10 foot Creek that runs over to the pond dumps into the pond. And I just built a little bridge over that, over that uh, Creek. And then, you know, it comes down on the other side and the, the trail takes off from there off of our deck. So yeah, it's kind of a neat little feature. And I just like adding little things like that. It just gives it that unique look that, you know, it's just real enjoyable to take a walk through something like that. Oh, I bet. Now, is the creek man-made or is that a natural? Nope, it's man-made. I, I okay. just, I, yeah, I ran the, you know, I dug the trenches and ran the, the water lines and it comes up. It basically just circulates from the pond back to the other end of the creek, uh, the, the waterfall. And then it has a little waterfall I made with rocks and runs down the creek and back into the pond. And it's, it's not huge. It's like I said, t the, the creek is just maybe 10 or 12 feet long and the pond's couple hundred gallon. It's not a huge pond, but it just adds a little something to the garden. It's just really, really nice. Yeah. So are you growing any plants at all? Any water plants in the little pond? Well, yeah, there, there's a few things growing in there. Uh, I tried water chestnut for one year and it did all right for a little while and then it kind of died off. And I, I just didn't have a lot of luck with it. I think it's just a little bit too much shade there for something for it maybe. But, you know, I just grow the regular water plants, nothing edible in there right okay. now. So, yeah, but yeah, just some other, you know, just things nice to look at. Like we're talking about, you know, we got some water lilies and water lettuce and things like that growing in there. And then there's some fish in it. So that's nice. And a turtle. <laughs> oh, I love turtles. That's yeah, it's, it's nice to look at. And, you know, my grandkids really enjoy hanging out on the bridge and looking at that. So I bet. I love it. So when we're looking at putting in, like we were talking about some more of these just really fun visual enjoyments and elements in there, 
if you've got you know sunny areas versus shady areas i know a lot of people struggle when they have shady areas to get things to grow as well sometimes Mm -hmm. they struggle to know like oh goodness like what can i put in here do you have any suggestions? Well, my number one favorite thing to do in, in shady spots is hostas. I love hostas. There's so many different varieties of them, too. So, I mean, you got the really dark colored, big leafed ones, and, and they just do great. I mean, they don't need a lot of sunlight uh, to do great. And we have a lot of hostas around here. So, I do enjoy those. And actually, those are edible. I mean, if a person wants to eat, the, you know, the, the, the shoots, they are they actually are. almost yeah. like, uh, yeah, like asparagus, uh, the shoots that are similar. But yeah, I mean, so if you got a deer problem, they're hard to grow because deer love them. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're, to me, that's my favorite uh, ornamental. I mean, I use it as ornamental, even though it's edible, uh, to put under trees or along buildings in shady spots. And, and, you know, something else I'm doing on the shady side of my house is growing mushrooms. Well, I put an entire mushroom bed and growing mushrooms over there in some mulch. So, you know, that's something else you can do in shady spots. And it, that isn't a real strong visual. But man, I'm all about making use of that, that space if you can. Yeah. And actually mushrooms, sometimes you have to get a little bit closer, but I find them fascinating. Like I think, yeah. I think they're actually really fun. So, yeah. okay. What kind of mushrooms are you growing? Oh, I knew he was going to ask me that. We got a couple <laughs> kinds over there, but I planted them last year and I'm sitting here thinking, what are they? <laughs> I knew he was going to ask me that. Uh, yeah. I can't think of them right now, but we have a couple of different kinds. They're the ones with the red. I, I know what they are and I'm, I'm just drawing a blank on them. They got the red tops on them. Oh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on what they're called. They're edible, correct? Yeah, they're all okay. edible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we go uh, in the shiitake and, and logs over there as well. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. You know, and with the hostas, yes, because the front of our house, so living in the Pacific Northwest, the actual front of our house is deep north. And so even in, in like the height of summer, it only gets partial sun for one hour a day so it's about as deep shade as you can get and but the hostas grow fabulous there Mm -hmm. and i have like lime green ones you can get variegated like you're saying like so many different things and they come back and they do really well and they'll also flower that will put up like a pretty little blossom more into the in further into the season but what i was going to say is what's been surprising me is and now we're pretty wet here obviously pacific northwest not a big surprise there but my foxgloves, the native foxgloves that just naturally grow here, they mm-hmm. have really been populating that area and they are blooming even though it's almost full shade. So anything that's natural like that, that's native, I'm just going to, I just let come up and grow as long as it's not like a buttercup that takes over, which is a invasive weed here. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to use the hostas around trees even, you know, just as a, because that keeps the weeds out of that area. It provides you know, a, a living mulch basically right around a tree, a fruit tree yeah. or something like that. So that works really, really well in those areas too. And I use comfrey a lot in those places too. I use a lot of comfrey around trees and stuff for the uh, living mulch as well. Yeah. I think comfrey needs to be your gardening mascot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I talk about it too much. People say, man, you talk about comfrey all the time. I'm like, yeah, I try not to talk about it so much because I think people get tired of hearing me talk about it. Oh no. I think, I think whatever, I think whatever we're like, yeah, is our thing in the garden. I think, I don't think we can share too much. So feel free, <laughs> feel free to sing its praises. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely my favorite. I, I, I it's odd that that and, and mulberry trees are like two of my favorite things in my whole backyard. <laughs> That's two of the things okay. that I love. <laughs> I don't have mulberries. So talk to me about really. Mulberry. Oh, I just yeah. love mulberry. It's, it's, it's just a great tree. You know, it has so, it puts off so much fruit and 
the leaves, uh, uh, feed rabbits and things like that. I mean, they're just such a beneficial tree to have and they grow so easy. I mean, they're just a low maintenance tree. I keep one right outside the, the, the rabbit um, area uh, and I keep it uh, cut down to where it's really low and it puts off no fruit actually because I chop it so aggressively. But it's solely I use that tree just to feed rabbits with. I mean, it's just the leaves are for rabbits. That's all it's for. And, and it creates like a, a nice shady area over there as well. But And I actually grow lettuce. I have a bed right uh, under that or right beside that kind of where it, it basically blocks the sun for over half the day in the evening. And, and so I've created a little microclimate right underneath that mulberry tree just for shade uh, for the lettuce growing. So I can grow lettuce right in the summertime with no trouble. Oh, I love that. So for the mulberry tree, if not kept cut down aggressively, does it is it like a standard fruit tree size when it's full size or how big do they grow? Well, I have a neighbor that has one, two houses down, and I would say that tree is probably 70 feet tall. <laughs> oh, so it'll get, they'll get really tall then. Yeah, they're, okay. now they, they don't, yeah, I don't know how old that tree is. That's, that's probably the biggest mulberry tree I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, but yeah, most of them I, I've seen are, you know, 25 30 feet tall you know and, and it i don't know how old i don't know how fast it really goes. i keep this one's cut down i grew up around mulberry trees we always had a bunch but i you know they were never giant maybe 30 feet tall but we used to get lots of mulberries off of them and i'd make myself sick eating so many of them <laughs> okay i'm gonna have to look for my zone they must i don't know that i've seen them around where yeah, i go yeah, I'll say I don't know in your area how, how well they do. Um, I know they do well in most of the United States, so they're a pretty aggressive tree. Matter of fact, some uh, like the wa- uh, white mulberries, uh, some states, uh, matter of fact, Indiana has considered it an invasive species. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's what we do with blackberries here. Yeah. So the, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm now I'm super curious though. I'll have to go and do a little bit of digging and, and looking up now on, on yeah, that. It's, yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite things to eat. I just love the taste of the berries or, you know, it's for me, a, like a blackberry is, is pretty tart, you know, it, it can be, which a mulberry is just, to me, it has that perfect flavor. I mean, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't bite you too hard, but it has just a great flavor. Okay, but it's a tree and not. But it is a tree. It's actually a fruit, not a berry. Yeah. Yeah, not a berry. Okay, interesting. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check this out now. I've got. <laughs> I've got new stuff to go look at. It. This is exciting. Yeah, so. and it's, again, it's one of them things that's in our yard. We just. It's, I actually got a couple of them. It's just we love looking at it. I love the apple trees we have because you know you know in the early spring when those oh, start yes. flowering, they're just beautiful when they start flowering, and we love looking at that. You know, this is a it's a wonderful tree to have. We have a cherry tree that just you know it's a. I love the bark on a cherry tree and how you know it looks so different than all the other trees i mean i just love all the trees that we're growing and the plants as well i mean we try to provide a lot of color you know i like things that flower but even in our regular um, vegetables i try to just plant things that have you know a lot of reds you know a lot of oranges yellows i mean we try to get a lot of color in our garden um you know just to get that variety and make it look really neat i just love to walk around and look at that yeah, I've been growing a lot more orange nasturtiums for companion mm-hmm. planting and, and pest control with the yep, brassicas. Yep. And yeah, same with you. I, it's really only been, I would say, the past probably four to five years that I've really incorporated flowers in the vegetable garden, like directly beside and not just as borders. And I'm like, why did I not do this? Do you so find the nasturtiums early. really help out with the, like, I mean, I've heard for them for squash bugs and beetles and things like that, or you, you say you're planting them with your brassicas? Yeah. So the orange nasturtium specifically, mm. when I was looking and doing research and trying to find actual scientific studies on companion planting, which is a little bit hard mm-hmm. to find. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, with the orange nasturtiums with the brassicas. And so I don't have, I know I always feel so bad for saying this for you guys that battle with them, but I don't have like the vine borer um, that come or the squash. I know I hear that. I feel, I feel guilty almost saying, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't struggle with that. But with my brassicas, we have a ton of the moths and, you know, and the worms and that type of thing. So I do have my, my other Mm -hmm. issues. And yeah, I, I plant them right between the plants so if i have a row of kale row of my brussels sprouts you know broccoli Mm -hmm. all the all the brassica family um i'll do like an orange nasturtium two brussels sprouts orange nasturtium two brussels so i put them like or even sometimes um i'll just put them like one every other in there and i do feel like it is very very much so helped cut back on the amount of worms and the little white moths that I can't think of the technical yeah, name right the, now for the, them. The, those cabbage, just cabbage <laughs> yes, thank moths. you. The cabbage they're, moths. They're horrible here too. And uh, I haven't tried that. I, I keep the nasturtiums over by our squash and stuff. Think, you know, because I've, the, they've always said the squash bugs and stuff, it helps deter that. But uh, we put lavender uh, is supposed to be really good for uh, deter in the cabbage moths. And I have some lavender growing and it's just a beautiful flower as well um, on that herb. And um, we have those among the, the, the cabbage and stuff. And that seems to help a little bit. So, so, cause I crop rotate with my brassicas. I don't ever plant them in the same mm-hmm. spot. So is your lavender just in pots and you move it or how are you doing that? Yeah, I have some in pots and I've also planted some along the, along the paths. Uh, I have okay. the path generally where I have some cabbage growing. There's a path right there. And so I'll, uh, I have a patch of it right there next to the, to the path. So it's kind of in the area of where gotcha. my brassicas. Yeah. I love, and I love lavender too. I just haven't yeah. tried that one in amongst them. So I might have to grab some cuttings and put them in pots and, and test that out. Cause mm-hmm. why not have more flowers? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, we just love, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of a dual purpose guy. I'm a permaculture guy. So I, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to plant stuff that's beautiful and you know, I'm what I like to look at, but I do try to find the ones that I think are going to benefit my garden as well. You know, like, you know, like lavender, like marigolds. I mean, every gardener knows about planting marigolds within your garden and stuff. Cause they, they do a lot. They don't smell great even to us, but bugs hate it even more. So, you know, it's nice to have some marigolds uh, in the garden. You know, zinnias are nice. I love planting those in the garden and they're great. They're great for attracting pollinators. So, I mean, just, it adds a lot of beauty, but they also serve other functions as well. You know, pest deterrence and is good companion plants for in other ways. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of them like calendula is another one of my favorite mm-hmm. ones to plant. Yeah. And it, I actually, I like the scent of calendula. It's not as strong scented as say, or as fragrant as, you know, like lavender. We typically think of everybody right. knows lavender really well, but I think it has a pleasant scent and it's really I think it's a beautiful flower. It's pretty hardy right. too. Like yeah. it, it can handle some frost. And so it's one then in the fall, it'll, you'll still have some color for quite a while. Uh, but of course it's, I do use it for companion planting, but I really use it because I love to use the blossoms for in my herbal salves and ointments and soaps and that type of thing. Make, so makes it makes a nice tea as well. Yeah. And a tea. Yeah. <laughs> it has so many great things. So like you're saying, like some of them are for beauty, but if you just do a little bit of digging, a lot of them, because that homesteader in me just can't help it. A lot of right. them have those other multi-purposes yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, you always think, well, they're good for the pollinators, like sunflowers, you know, I'm not a big sunflower seed guy, but I love growing sunflowers. We've got all kinds of sunflowers. we got the big gigantic ones, you know, they're like, you know, 12 feet tall. And I got the little ones and, you know, we, we just got all kinds of sunflowers around here, but they love, you know, pollinators love them. Yeah. You know, unfortunately squirrels love them too. And they'll draw <laughs> them in your garden, but you know, <laughs> you have to deal with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love growing them. I just think they're fun flower to grow they're fun to look at um you know so it's not everything is like 
you know, if you're big on something, you know, I will take them and, you know, feed the seeds to the animals and stuff. And they love that, the birds and stuff. But, uh, yeah, we love growing sunflowers. And that's just another great, uh, great uh, flower to put in your garden. It's just fun to look at. And it's so easy to grow. And if you can't grow a sunflower, <laughs> you probably, you're struggling probably because they just grow so easy. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned earlier when we first started that you were talking about a bench and seeding. So I wanted to kind of circle back around to that if uh, how how you went about just deciding where you were going to put it or if you've got any tips for people wanting to put some of those elements in. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're laying out your property, you the first thing you have to consider is sunlight. I mean, you're not going to put your tall plants blocking, you know, anything small. You're, you're going to put your shade in the right spots, planting trees in the right spots where they're not going to shade out your garden. I mean, all these things. I mean, these are just the, the obvious things that gardeners need to consider when you're laying out your property and where you're planting things and where you're laying your beds and building beds and building your pathways. Uh, it's so important, but you also have to consider, you know, the wind. You also have to consider, you know, uh, your structures and what they're going to do for your, your plants. I mean, all these things you have to take into consideration. On this new property that I'm building, uh, we're, we're starting to really, we're just now starting to put that together. The, put the fence around the border, putting some trees in and, and just starting to cut the trails in that. And then I'm going to go along that and be putting in, you know, uh, things along the walkways. Cause I love creating the edge. Like I talked about earlier. So it's a, permaculture concept that that it's really done the most for my homestead is getting those paths creating edge and then planting along those edges um and and it you know there's a few purposes in that but it makes it really easy to get to your stuff for one thing it creates a nice little uh, uh walkway and it and you know you just get everything right there and it just it gives you like this just really almost like a nature walk you know just walking along things all the time. And so I, I just consider all those things, you know, there's so much to consider when you're putting things in, but laying it out is important, putting it on some paper and really getting an idea of where you want things. And, and again, I'm not going to plant my gigantic sunflowers, um, you know, to where it's blocking the sun for something lower, you know, and you always have to consider those things. For the seeding, do you try to put those in, I'm assuming because you're putting the seedings kind of more in an area where it gives you like when you're sitting there, you kind of have a, a good view of all the different features. Um, and are you putting plants around the seating or are you trying to put that in? A, oh, yeah, in absolutely. Area? Like, like when we first walk through our gate uh, from our front yard into our back, I have a bench like right there and I have generally I'll put like beans or something and they'll like vine up around the backside of it and along the sides of it. And we'll have it's got the opening right there on the seating where you sit down uh, on a, right on the turn of a curve, you know, you might plant, uh, put it right there and then you'll have your beds on each side of it and kind of in the middle of things. Yeah. I just, pop it in wherever you can. We love like cast iron benches and, and things like that and old wooden benches and maybe even a chair here or there. Those things just make it, you know, nice and pleasant to, uh, to have it. But I also, when I'm putting in seating, I also consider, um, like we were talking about earlier, the aromas. So it's a good place to put in. If you're going to be spending some time there and you're going to maybe be sitting there reading a book, consider some shade for your seating. Um, uh, consider the smells is have some herbs around you that you enjoy because uh, it'll just make sitting there pleasant. And, and I think that does a lot to reduce your stress, you know, lower blood pressure, really make it an enjoyable space, create a spot, a spot where you want to hang out. You want to look at what's around you. Um, me also, when I'm, when I'm putting in a place to sit, I like to have something tall behind me. I like to have some privacy behind me. I don't know if that's just like a, a thing that people just, 
feel more secure or something when there's something kind of blocking behind their back. But I like that. It creates a, a sense of privacy, you know, kind of just gives you this private space to where you just don't always feel like somebody's looking over your shoulder, you know, when you're sitting there reading a book or something in the garden. So I enjoy creating a spot like that. I like that. And it feels cozy. Like there's something about when you mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, have stuff wrapped around you, even if it's, yeah, plants and whatnot, gives you that cozy feeling that you want to stay a while. And you might want to pick different spots for your seating. You might want to have a spot that you have in a couple different places. You might want to have one where, where it's in the sun more, where you can enjoy some sunlight. You might want to pick another one where, you know, if it's a really hot, sunny day and you don't want to be in the sun, you got a nice shady spot. So you might pick a couple different places to put, you know, a, a place you can sit and enjoy depending on the weather, you know, and, and what you're looking for. I love those tips. Actually, I like the thought of the cast iron here. Yeah. <laughs> Anything would, even though we do our best to, you know, pick cedar, which we have a, a good abundance mm-hmm. of here. Um, you're going to have some maintenance. <laughs> so yeah. I like the idea of the cast iron because it's yeah, not going to rot on me. <laughs> yeah. In your wetter climate, it's, it definitely isn't going to last as long. And even here, I mean, we, we, I, I have to treat everything every year. It seems like all the fences and when I definitely considered moving to more of a, you know, permanent structure type stuff, you know, like a cast iron fencing and things like that. It's a lot more expensive, but it's a once and done, you know, I've actually yeah. considered all the things because after a while you put in a lot of those kinds of things and maintenance, uh, doing the maintenance on those things will eat up a lot of your time. So you do, that is something else you have to consider. Yeah. Yeah. We have cedar fencing on one corner of our property and then on our woodshed and our pump house. And I, it's about every other year that we have to put a new coating on that. And I mean, mm-hmm. and cedar does, it's a, well, there's the old growth cedar was very rot resistant. In fact, there's still old, very few of them, but there's still log cabins and old barns that have the original cedar on them from when they were built in this area of Washington in the late 1800s. But the newer second growth cedar, um, it does not, it's still slower to rot than if you're picking obviously like hemlock or fir or something like that, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. have that long, unfortunately, that long capability that the old growth did. So yeah, I'm with you because we try to stagger too, like over so that every, every summer, I'm recoding some of our wood outside, but I try to stagger it so that I'm not having to do all of it in one year. Cause you're right. It, the upkeep can get to be a little bit burdensome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's just something you have to consider if you, how much of it you're going to have to, I mean, if you had just one or two small things, it ain't too much work, but like we have a lot of wooden fence on our property all the way around our property. And yeah, that's a lot of work uh, taking care of that all the time, but you know, it looks very, very nice and it created a, just an awesome infrastructure for our property to, to build things around. But I find that it, every spring I have to treat that and it takes up, it takes up a couple weekends generally doing that. Yeah. Agreed. Good tips there. I like the idea of that cast iron bench though. Because, yeah. Yeah. I'm That's something that'll last a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. It's not the most comfortable stuff, but it, it creates a kind of this permanent spot. You can throw a cushion on it or whatever in this, you know, in the summertime when you want to utilize it. And it, it looks really, it has a great look to it in the garden. So I just think it's, uh, it's something that adds, it just adds a, a special something to the garden for sure. I know. Well, I'm going to be on the hunt now. So when, when, when my husband, I'm like, can you come help me lift this? I'm buying this. <laughs> yeah. It's a great thing that you can pick up at rummage sales and flea markets and things like that. That is the place to buy things like that. Cause it really, you know, it's, it's something you don't want to buy new probably because it can be pretty costly. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a thrift store, garage sale junkie type yeah. of girl. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Now I'm excited. I have like a renewed energy and excitement to go and do some more planning and, and putting in some of those just fun beauty features into yeah, the garden. I need, 
I needed a podcast like this with you, Melissa, because because it's been a long winter and I'm just really needing to think about these kind of things a lot more. <laughs> I know even for us who are practicing this and doing it like, yeah, it, we need to get excited too. So I hope that y'all are getting excited as you're listening to this. And if you've got some fun features that you're putting in or you really love about your garden, let us know, like tag Harold and I on Instagram or let us know in the comments of this blog post um, that accompanies this episode. Like we, cause we all get, like Harold was saying, you watch garden tours, I watch garden tours on YouTube. Mm -hmm. We all get inspiration from one another and other gardens. So sure. it's always fun to get to share those. Yeah. Don't feel guilty about getting out there and, uh, you know, for your listeners, get out there and, and put something beautiful in your garden and enjoy it. And, and, you know, cause it's why you were created and it's, uh, it's part of why you were created to enjoy this. And, uh, also, uh, it's got some serious health benefits for you. And I think it'll do, I think it'll do everyone some good to enjoy it. And you know what? It's something I didn't mention earlier. When you build a beautiful space, something it does is it helps inspire others to build a beautiful space and to start gardening. There's neighbors that probably think, oh, I'm not really on that grown food, but I love the way that looks. I'd love to have something like that in my garden, in my backyard, and it might inspire them to start growing some food. Oh, I love that. That is a very good reason. Well, Harold, thank you so much for coming on today. For those who want to hang out with you more and find you, where are the best spots for people to connect with you? Well, my website, haroldthornbrow.com, or we have a pretty large Facebook group called the Homestead Front Porch on Facebook there you can check out or you can get links to, to everywhere I'm at on my website there. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I can't wait to see some of the new things you put in your garden this year too. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. It's good talking to you today. You too. <laughs> Bye. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Harold as much as I did. Oh, so many great tips in there. And make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss any of the new episodes as soon as they are published. Because as you heard earlier today in this episode, sometimes we have things that come up that have a really short window. And so if you're not getting the episodes and listening to them as soon as they come out, which you will if you're subscribed, then you're going to miss out on some really cool and different opportunities. So thank you so much for joining me today. I always love my time spent with you. And next week, I will be recording and sharing with you part two of diving into raising the meat chickens. You guys had so many questions on raising livestock for meat and also some requests for more podcast episodes on raising pigs. So I want to make sure that I am serving up the content and the subjects that you guys want to listen to and you really need the help with. So if that, the area of raising pigs is of interest to you, let me know. You can message me, leave me a review of the podcast and say, yes, I would love to hear that. You can shoot me an email, but I would love to hear more from you on what you need help listening to. Okay. Thank you guys. We'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.